Speak to us now, Lord, we pray. Speak to our souls today. For this is why we've come, dear Lord. We're now ready for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Heaven and earth will pass. But God, your word will forever last. God, we are ready for your word. We pray now that you'll bless us in your word, both in the preaching and hearing of your word and the receiving of your word. But help us to be not just hearers, help us to be doers as well that we might live out the truth of your word and become who you want us to be. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So if I asked you the question this morning, who do you try to please in your life? Who would you answer? Some of you would answer your parents. That when you think about pleasing somebody, the first person that comes to your mind are your parents. For somebody else, it's your boss. You're like, yeah, it's to my vocational advantage if my boss is pleased with me. I want to please my boss. For some of you, uh, the person that you want to please is your significant other. Of course, some of you who don't have a significant other that might be the reason because you didn't try to please them, right? I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the person next to you. Don't get offended. But overwhelmingly, 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 the person that we typically try to please the most, even if it's unspoken, is ourselves. At the end of the day, we want to be able to look in the mirror and feel good about what we have done. We want to look in the mirror and say, girl, you did it. That a boy, you handled up on your business. Boy, you were standing up for yourself. Yeah. We want to please ourselves. But as a child of God, the Bible declares that the one that we should be committed to pleasing more than anybody else is God. But let's be honest. God falls far down the list when we think about who we want to initially please in our lives. But here's what I want to tell you. You will never discover your purpose for life and living, not in terms of what you do as much as why you do what you do until you make up in your mind that you want to live a life that is pleasing to God. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to conclude what I started last week, part two of how to live to please God, how to live to please God. If you have your outlines, would you say amen? If you need an outline, raise your hand and the ushers will get one to you. In Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 8, the Bible says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are in the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try, verse 10, to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That word pleasing refers to what is agreeable, what is acceptable. What, as Rick Warren would say, puts a smile on God's face. I don't know how many of you have had that opportunity to, for example, see your children or your grandchildren do something. 
after you have invested in them, after you have poured in them, after you have instructed them, after you have hopefully inspired them, and then to see them do something that reflects what you have poured into them, it just puts a smile on your face. It's like, wow, that, that's, that's awesome, that's great, man. I think I must have done a good job, at least in that moment, right? The Bible says, when we talk about pleasing God, we need to recognize that without faith, Hebrews eleven six, we cannot please God. And it's the faith that we put in God to do what only God can do after we do all that we have been commanded to do. Part two of how to live to please God follows part one. <coughs> Excuse me, on last week, I shared with you first, you live in a way that pleases God when you learn to love God completely. That you have to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Noah loved God. So much so that the Bible says when he looked at the world and he saw a corrupt world that was worthy of being destroyed, he found an exception in the person of Noah. And he said, you know what? This whole world can be destroyed. But when I see Noah, I see a man who is worth saving, a man who lives his life to honor me. Now, I'm not saying God is prepared to destroy the whole world, but here's what I am asking you. When he looks at your life, does he see an exception to the moral decay and degradation that we see in the world today? Can God say, but, and then put your name in there? When I look at the world, when I look at the mess that's going on, do I see a difference in you? Second thing we shared on last week is you must live in a way that pleases God, and you do that when you learn to trust God totally. Trust God totally. It took 120 years for Noah to build the ark. Needless to say, when you build an ark in a desert land with no water nearby and it's never rained in your lifetime, it's got to be an act of faith. And you know some folk had to be walking by talking about, Noah, what in the world are you building? Is it a house? Is it a, no, it's too big for a house. Is it a hotel? What, what are you building? And you can imagine when he said, it's an ark. And they said, an ark for what? It's never rained. An ark for what? There's no water close by. But he trusted God totally. And my brothers and my sisters, listen, if you're going to please God, many times in life, you're going to have to trust God even when other people mistrust or don't trust you. You've got to learn how to trust what God says even when you can't see what God is doing. It may not make sense. It may not make sense to other people. That's why you always got to be careful to whom you go for a second opinion. You can't go to everybody with what God has shown you because many times you're asking the blind to give you insight on what God has shown you and they can't see it for themselves. So they sure can't see what God has told you. You got to trust God totally. Let's go to part two. Here's the first thing. Number one, you live in a way that pleases God when you learn to obey God wholeheartedly. When you learn how to obey God wholeheartedly. Everybody say obey God. Obey God. Now, you know that word obey, 
raises some hairs on some of the back of our necks. Uh, we, we don't like that word, obey. Um, I can't tell you how many times we would prepare for a wedding ceremony and I would ask the couple, you know, do you want a traditional vows or are you going to say your own vows or do you want the modern vows? And, and they would say, well, what's the difference? I said, well, uh, the biggest difference between, of course, your vows and, you know, the traditional vows are you saying and they're more personalized. And the difference between the traditional vows and the modern vows is really just one word, obey. I say, you know, it says, you know, husbands, you know, wives obey your husbands. And, and, and I can't tell you how many times women be like, no, you can take that out. Ain't no, ain't no need of me lying on the altar. I ain't going. <laughs> and and I, always, I always tell the women, I always say, listen, you got to understand what the Bible says. Now, even though it wasn't put in the vows, the Bible says that the wives are to obey their husbands and the husbands are to obey their wives because the body of the husband belongs to the wife and the body of the wife belongs to the husband. So they're supposed to be mutual obedience. And then they say, well, go on and put it back in then, Pastor. But put it in at both places. <laughs> Don't put it on one side. Put it on both sides, right? In Genesis chapter 6, verses 13 through 22, God gives Noah instructions on the building of the ark, and he gives him very specific instructions, and God looks to be obeyed specifically. He does not ask Noah to make any adjustments. He does not ask Noah to question what he's asking him to do. He expects Noah to do exactly what he commanded. So when he says in verse 15, this is how you are to make it, the length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, its height, 30 cubits. He didn't say 29 and a half cubits. He said 30 cubits. He expected his directions to be followed to the letter. Now, here's where we're challenged. We don't want to give God our absolute obedience. You know why most of us don't want to? Because we have an opinion. And we actually think our opinion overrides obedience. See, when God gives us a command, uh, we, we have questions that we want to be answered. We have adjustments that we want to make. We, we have objections that need to be responded to. We have reservations that need to be resolved. God, before I do what you command me to do, I need some understanding. And one of the things I need you to understand today is that your understanding is not a prerequisite to you obeying God. You don't have to understand it. All you got to do is do what God says because he knows more than you know. Let me see if I can help somebody today. I remember when my children were young and I would tell my children to do something. And you know, when, when you're parented in, in a tough way, when your parents are kind of strict, you know, you, you grow up and you say, when, I'm, when I become a parent, I ain't going to be like y'all. I ain't going to be mean like y'all. How many of y'all said that, right, about your parents? I, I ain't going to be mean like you, daddy. I ain't going to be mean like my mom. Uh, no, I'm, uh, uh, I'm going to talk to my children. <laughs> I, I ain't going to whip my children like you whip me. Uh, uh, I'm going to talk to them. I had conversations with them, right? That, that lasted about, about a month in my house. That lasted about a month in my house. 
because I, I was going to talk to my children. So I'm telling them stuff, and I, and I want them to feel free, you know, to express their reservations and express their doubts, you know. And so, so I'm telling them to do something, and they're like, well, well why we got to do that? And I said, well, because, and then I'm explaining, and they said, yeah, but that doesn't make sense to us. Why we got to do, and, and then they kept, and then I'm explaining, and then they kept on, yeah, but dad, that don't make sense. I don't, I don't understand that. Why, why I got to do that? And then I heard myself saying the words that I told myself I would never say to my children. Y'all know the words, don't you? It finally came down. I said, because I said so. This is not a democracy. This is a benevolent dictatorship. Because I said so. Listen to me carefully. There is not a democracy when it comes to what God tells you to do. And you try to figure out and you try to get shortcuts around what God wants you to do instead of following the directions, the directions and doing what God says do. Let me tell you the last time I had that happen to me, I was putting something together and uh, I, I put the box up and had it up, the picture, what it's supposed to look like when I got through. And, and so I'm looking at it and I'm, I'm putting it together, I'm figuring out the pieces, I'm putting it together. I'm not reading the directions, y'all, and I'm looking at the picture because that's ultimately what I want. So I'm, I'm gonna bypass the directions. I'm going right there to the finished product and I'm putting it together. And when I got through, man, I was so proud. I looked at it, Deacon Tibbs, and I said, look at that, see that? I didn't have to read no directions. And then I said, well, I got three, three screws left. <laughs> oh, they must, they must have put them extra screws in there in case I lost one or something, right? Of course, when I started leaning on it, Deacon Nate, when I started leaning on it, man, that thing started moving like this, boy, like it was on the ocean or something. It started, it was, I said, oh, Lord. I said, I messed this thing up. I had to take it apart, read the directions, and then put it back together according to the directions. Here's all I'm trying to tell you. There's somebody in here, you've been trying to build your life looking at a picture of what you want, but not following God's directions. And you think you got the image because you walked down the aisle and you was wearing white. You think you got the image because the Cinderella syndrome was satisfied in your life. You think you got the image because you got the house, the car, you got the children, you got the job, but it's leaning, it's rocking. It's, and somebody, you might need to start over again and build it, not according to what you see, but according to what God says. I wish I had a witness in here somewhere. <clears throat> Noah did not present questions to God. He did not present objections or reservations to God. He simply obeyed God. God said, build it. Noah says, yes, sir. Listen, delayed obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. What God is looking for is total, absolute obedience. God says it, and that's it. There was a song some years ago that said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. But when God says it, that settles it whether you believe it or not. God does not need you to co-sign on anything that he says. 
All he needs is your obedience. Look at Psalm 119, verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. I love the living Bible paraphrase. Let's read that together. Just tell me what to do, and I will do it, Lord. As long as I live, I'll wholeheartedly obey. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You know, I love to ask people when I go to churches, sometimes I say, uh, Deacon Jordan, I say, uh, how many of you love God? Every hand goes up. Some folk put up both hands. I love the Lord. He heard my cry. Pitied every groan. Oh, I love God. I love God. You love God? I love God. (laughs) Right? And I said, now how many of y'all obey God? And the hand starts going down. But the scripture says, if you love him, you will obey him. Because love and obedience go together. Here's the second thing. And the last thing today, if you're going to live to please God, number two, you live in a way that pleases God when you learn to praise and thank God continually. When you learn to praise and thank God continually. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20 and 21. The ark has survived the flood that has wiped out the world now. It is landed on dry ground. And the Bible says the first thing that Noah does is is to offer a sacrifice to God. He worships God. He thanks God. And throughout his life, as you continue to watch, watch Noah, Noah is constantly offering sacrifices to God. He is constantly thanking God. Because he recognizes that worshiping God, thanking God, is not an event, it's a lifestyle. See, for somebody in here right now, for somebody that's watching, if all of your praise is relegated to an hour to two hours once a week, then I submit to you, your worship, your praise, your thanksgiving to God is not enough. God deserves your thanksgiving 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year. God deserves your praise. When you wake up in the morning, before your feet hit the ground, looking up at your ceiling, you ought to tell the Lord thank you for giving you another day. Throughout the day, you don't need to take a formal praise break. Just Every now and then, when it comes to your mind, you ought to just thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for the ability, for example, as simple as it is, to feed yourself. Because if you ever depended on somebody else to feed you, you would know that's something to thank God for. Just the ability to get up and go to the bathroom on your own. If you ever had to have somebody to take care of you, you would know that's something to thank God for. I had a friend, we were in seminary together, and uh, man, he was known for praising God in the bathroom. Now, this sounds strange. Like, you can imagine, he, you, 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 okay, ladies, y'all don't understand it, but you're standing at the urinal, and somebody's standing at the urinal next, 
Oh, thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm like, man, what are you doing? <laughs> There's a whole lot of things going on over there. What, what are you doing? Every time he would go to, man, he starts, he literally will almost start shouting. They're like, man, what is wrong with you? And he would say, DZ, he said, man, you don't understand. He said, there was a time I couldn't go to the bathroom. He said, I, I needed somebody with, 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 a, with a urine cup or bedpan. I couldn't take care of myself. I couldn't clean myself. He said, every time I think about not being able to take care of myself, and now I can go to the bathroom on my own. He says, I got, I got to thank him. I got to thank him. I got, I got to thank him. Listen, everybody won't understand your thanks. But, but, but here's, here's what I will tell you to tell them. It's not for them. So, so if they question why you are so grateful, tell them stop eavesdropping on your conversation with God. Tell them you're just thanking God because when you think of where you've been and you recognize what you've been through, you don't have to wonder how you made it over. I wish I had a witness in here somewhere. You know it was nobody but God that brought you saved thus far. Noah lived a life of praise and thanks to God, and he did it continually. And, and let me be honest with you. It's so easy to move from thanks to bewilderment, sometimes complaining when stuff is coming at you, when people are attacking you, when your good is spoken of as evil, when, when haters are talking about you. It, it's so easy to lose sight, but here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you are going to live a life that pleases God, keep your focus on God. Keep your focus on the good things that God has done. Keep your focus on the great things that God has done. Keep your focus on what God is doing in your life right now. Psalm 69 verse 30 says, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. Hebrews 13, 15, through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Your purpose for life and living can only be fulfilled when you commit to living a life that pleases God. Stories told of a man who was told you can't please everybody, but he didn't really believe it. He was in a town. He had one donkey. Him and his son were walking. He decided to put his son on the donkey as they came to one town, <clears throat> and folks started complaining. Say, I can't believe that boy as healthy as he is, is riding that donkey and he's not letting his daddy ride. That's a shame. The man overheard it. As they left that town, they were making their way to the next town. He decided he would ride the donkey and let the boy walk. He comes into the town and they look and they start complaining. 
I can't believe that grown man is riding that donkey and letting that poor boy walk like that. That's a shame. He ought to be ashamed of himself. He said, well, I don't know what to do. He said, well, he said, I'll tell you what. He said, son, as we get into the next town, both of us will walk. So they went into the next town, and they both were walking. And the donkey was walking behind them. And they said, look at that crazy man. Got a perfectly good donkey and nobody riding him. That don't make no sense. Man said, I don't know what to do. He said, we can't please anybody. So they made it to the fourth town. The man said, this time, son, you and I get on the donkey together. So they both got on the donkey. And when they got to that town, folks started complaining, poor donkey. Look at him abusing that donkey. Don't make no sense for two people to be riding that donkey like that. The moral of the story is, you're not going to be able to please everybody. So here's what I've learned. Why try? I tell people all the time, man, if you wanted me to care about your opinion, you should have caught me 20 years ago. Man, once you cross 60, you really don't care what people think. It's like, <laughs> it is what it is. It's like, it's like oh, well. But here's what I can do. I can live in a way that pleases God. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you and bless you for today. We thank you for your word. I pray now, God, that we would make a commitment amongst ourselves to find our purpose in living our lives in a way that pleases you. We pray, God, that your word has found fertile ground in the hearts and minds of your people, that we would be more than just hearers of your word. We would be doers as well. We thank you and we bless you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, give the Lord a hand of praise. Come on, let's thank God for our district attorney again. I know she needs to leave. Security. I know y'all need to get her out. Thank you so much. Man, we love you. Thank you. Thank you. Those of you who can, those of you who will, stand on your feet wherever you are. Uh, Reverend Bell's going to come and do our invitation. And as he comes, um, I, I want you to think about yourself. Um, the old song says, not, not my mother, not my father but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need. And I want you to think about yourself and think about where you are and more importantly, think about where God wants you to go, where God wants you to end up and how you're going to get there. And I need somebody to know that you're not going to get where God wants you to be without making a commitment, without renewing your commitment to him. Amen.